A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the fraud. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your love. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you for our church. Lord, thank you for the pastor that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the wisdom and insight that you've given him on faith and family. And I pray, Father, that you would use the messages these Sunday nights and this month, Lord, to, to help us, to help us, Lord, to raise uh, families that are pleasing to you, Lord, and honoring to you. And I pray that you would start that tonight, Lord. Please fill our pastor with the power of the Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen.
we're blessed. We have a lot of people that are work really hard on our special music, and that's a that's a blessing. I, I really do. Very very good. I do want to say uh, uh, this. There, my my wife had talked to the ladies uh, about possibly a, a meeting this week, you know, before Mother's Day, that type of thing, um, and with all this going on, and our house is not ready, and uh, of course we're going to have the home going. Uh, uh, Brother Jerry Hopper this week. We're going to try to reschedule that. And you said after we come back from taking the junior senior trip. Is that right? So that would be somewhere the 20 something of, of May, I think. So anyway, she'll get with you ladies about that and just kind of postpone that. Um, and we'll do that. And, and probably maybe by then we may be down to at least 100 boxes. Uh, everything right now, it's like, it's like this just giant Easter egg hunt, you know, going through and looking through boxes, trying to find everything. What is it? Thursday, April 26th. Is that okay? Yeah, April's gone. <laughs> May, are you sure? Yes, yes, you may. Um. May, May 26th, are you sure? Don't mess me up again now. All right, okay, all right. All right, um, I, I have a message, it's, it's actually called Seven Secrets to a Solid Family, and um, what I'm gonna do though is we're gonna wait, we're gonna change it to six secrets, and uh, because this, we're gonna deal with just the seventh tonight. Uh, normally, when I go to my conferences and things, and uh, I do, you know, I, I'm be honest with you, a lot of times this message would be an hour long, uh, maybe even a little bit longer. So uh, I'm just going to go down to point number seven tonight. And that point number seven, though, includes what we believe is the number one reason we lose our children. Now, uh, let me just, uh, you know, put out every kind of disclaimer I can. Uh, there's a lot of attack on on the book of Proverbs. If you go go to the internet, especially you know that Proverbs are not promises; they're just good sayings that most often are true. That kind of thing. Uh, I just want you to understand this. My belief is: is any time that God says you do this and I will do this, that's a promise. Okay, it doesn't matter where it is in the Bible; that's a promise. Now. Uh, that being said, when, when the Bible says that it on both sides hinges on humanity, then you have to understand the will of man is always involved in that. And so we're going to deal with that a little bit. Um, but what we're going to look at is going to begin in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. Uh, what I want to show you is in verses 1 through 5, uh, just a little foundational kind of thing that, that in books, especially like the book of Proverbs, the Bible is chock full of principles about rearing children. Uh, and so, and that just to do that, we're going to walk through these first five verses and show you how in reality, uh, these first five verses really are just building blocks to, to bring us to verse six. And it could go on and on. I mean, we could go to other chapters. We could go, you know, forever in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, uh, because there's a lot of wisdom in there about marriage, a lot of wisdom about child rearing. But if you go to verse 22, I mean, chapter 22, verse 1, it says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. 
Uh, right there, if you don't get hardly any other principle to your, your children as they're growing up, get across to them how important a good name is. Amen. Do you understand that, that according to this scripture right here, and the truth is that a good name is more important than whether you make a dollar. Keeping your name, being honest in your dealings, and being honest in the way you treat people, that's much more important than how much you make off the deal. Uh, you know, when again, you know, I'm not going to use names because, you know, they're in the political system, but I don't care how much money they can make. I want to know, did you make it honestly? Did you make it righteously? Did you make it decently? Now, God blesses some people with, with financial blessing because God knows he can trust them with it. But when God blesses, you don't have to manipulate. You don't have to lie. You don't have to cheat. You don't have to, to do the things that most people do. And they justify it because, hey, it's good business deal. No, we need godly deal. And so Proverbs 20, a good name. Your name is more important than your position or your possessions. And more important than who people think you are because of your position or your possessions. You see, because God knows who you are. And so uh, the truth is, is that uh, I was blessed at the, at the school as our kids were growing up. Uh, I, I didn't know it until till later, but they, they would at a certain grade or certain time in high school, early in high school, they would come to them and they'd ask them to choose a life verse. And three of our girls chose this verse as their life verse. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. It's not uh, what you possess, it's the name that you possess. Uh, you know, it's it's very important, very important thing. It is very important. Our name is a little bit unique, okay, uh, and especially if you six six daughters. But I told them the name Hooker is still a very, very important name that people ought to, they don't look at us and say they own a Mercedes. They ought to look at us and say they own integrity. Amen. And so, uh, now, number two, you look at it, and it says, rich and poor meet together, the Lord is maker of them all. And, and we taught this to our children because it was taught to me in my home growing up. And that, very simply this, don't allow wealth and possessions to cause you to believe you're superior to anyone. Some of you are more blessed than other people. Some of you have better clothes than other people. Some of you have more things than other people. That does not make you better than anybody else. There is nobody created that's better than anybody else. Don't allow wealth and possessions to cause you to believe you're superior. You're no better and no worse just because you might be financially blessed. Every good gift comes from God. And so the fact that, you know, that somebody may have... Now watch this, it goes the other way. When people have more than you have, they're no better than you are. That's what I thank my daddy for. He would tell me, look, son... They, they put their pants on the same one leg at a time just like you do. Uh, you know, and they had, to, they had to emphasize that to us because we were, we were country kids going to Germantown High School. And at that time, Germantown was the richest city you know, per capita in the state of Tennessee. And we were these, you know, these redneck country kids that uh, you know, didn't have a bathroom until I was about seven years old. Amen? Amen. And it didn't matter because we didn't use it anyway. <laughs> so, all right. So, man. We had an outhouse, praise the Lord. And I'd never go in that thing. And so uh, now, uh, the fact is, is that uh, we didn't have 
I, one time I said to my daddy, I said, you know, how come, you know, I was talking about my uncle, I said, how come they got my cousins, they got all this stuff, swimming pool, and they got the motorcycles, and they got trampoline, they got, I said, how come they got so much? And he looked at me, he said, son, they don't have more, they just got more bills, okay? And the truth was, though, I didn't realize how rich he was. He told us, uh, told me then, he said, son, we're rich in love. We love each other. You know what? We were. We were rich in love, but besides that, we were rich in food. Praise the Lord, you live on a farm, something can die when you get hungry. <laughs> Fill that freezer, amen. He had two freezers, and if one of them got half empty, something on the farm got nervous. <laughs> because we were going to eat good, you know. And I didn't realize how, how blessed I was, but man, we ate meat, you know, six days a week. This one day a week, Mom would have a vegetable dinner. You remember that? And I just left the table. But anyway... But, uh, but number three, it says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Oh, please get this to your children. Learn to discern the danger. Young people, learn to discern the danger. Keep your eyes open. Not everybody's good out there. Not everybody's honest out there. And you have to understand uh, learn to discern, and look, according to what it says there, walk away, stay away, two steps from evil are better than one. Those that fail to perceive suffer the consequences. That's what this verse teaches. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Man, he gets away. He gets away from it, but the simple pass on and are punished. That's vital that you get it to your children. They've got to see the danger. They've got to see the people and, and observe. You know, they, they need to have discernment, and you can help them uh, de develop discernment and help them to watch and help them to watch uh, people and study people. But number verse 4, it says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Get this, real success and blessing is found in a humble spirit and sincere fear and respect for God and His Word not in what you possess. The humble and uh, the, by humility, the fear of the Lord, that's where real riches. If my children grow up fearing the Lord, they're rich. And honor in life, it says, and then verse five, we're moving through this as quickly as I can because the majority of our message is gonna be on verse six, but it says, thorns and snares are in the, in the way of the forward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. And just this principle I wrote down, stay away from the perverse, the wicked, the scorner, for they seek the destruction of your soul. Be careful who you hang around. It is very, it's very important. Uh, we had this rule, and maybe you could, you could have it or not, but we had the rule, the school was fairly large, but the, the rule was in an organized, supervised situation at school, that means you go to class. That means you're there at the dining hall with people supervising you. You're in an organized, supervised situation. You're kind. You're friendly to everyone. You're good and kind and friendly to everyone. I said, but when it's not an organized, supervised situation, I said, that school ends and they turn you all out there. There's going to be a ball game, baseball game out there and all the kids are running around here and there and mama and daddy hadn't shown up yet. There are some people I do not want you around. And I don't want to drive up and find you with them. 
You understand? Because outside of an organized, supervised situation, that person is going to lead you astray. They're going to influence you to do things that we're, that we're not going to do. And so uh, it's just a rule that we had. And, and honestly, it worked very well. I, I did not like in an organized, supervised situation for kids to, to be snotty or turn away or clickish. I might refuse. I try to keep my kids. We don't click. That's, we don't do that. We are going to be good and friendly to everybody that walks in the door. Amen. We're also going to be wise when we walk outside and we're outside that supervised situation that as much as we have been kind to them, we cannot socialize them in an unsupervised situation. Okay. Now, it brings us to verse 6. Verse 6, one of the most misunderstood verses in all of creation. And in one, I, I'll be honest with you, one of the most attacked verses if you go on the Internet. And, uh, and the truth is, is that a lot of people have suffered because they've seen, they, they grew up, they brought their children up in church, they brought their children up, and, and here's a statement, and please forgive me, uh, maybe you've made this statement, you never made it to me because nobody here has ever made it, but I hear this everywhere I go when we start to counsel somebody who's got a child that's gone wayward, and they'll say this, we did it all right, let me help you, nobody does it all right. Okay, now what they're saying is we had them in church, we had them in Sunday school, we had them in youth group, we had them in Christian school, we had them in all the right places. Okay, that's not doing it all right. Okay, now the other thing is, is that this, this verse this, uh, is, if you look at it, it says train up a child in the way he should go. Now who does the training? Parents, humanity. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Both sides of this equation are based on humanity, on the will of man. Do you see what I'm saying? So now you say, well, then it's not a promise. No, it's not a promise as it is when God says, train up a child, and I will make sure he doesn't go that way. That's, that would be a promise if God said, you do this, and I will do this. It's not what it is. God says, you do this. And now it's up to them to do this. The will of man always comes in. And so the truth is, what I'm about to preach and teach tonight, you may have done every bit of this. You may have done everything, you know, again, nobody's going to do it perfectly, but you may do, have done in your home exactly what I'm going to teach tonight, and you may have had a child go away. Don't think that this message says, you somehow were guilty of what I'm about to teach. I'm just telling you that people come into influences. They come under peer pressure. They come under uh, influence, and the will of man comes in there. And I'm telling you, sometimes they make decisions that take them away. And I wish, I really wish this was set up that it was God saying, you do this, and I will do this, it'd be wonderful. But even there, then we'd still be in a mess because train up a child in the way he should go. If there's a thousand training principles in the Bible, which I don't really know how many child-rearing training principles are, but if there's a thousand and you did 999 of them right, what happens if you left one out? You just lost out. 
because you didn't 100% train them up in the way they should go. So we're left in a mess. And I'll be honest with you, when I first came into, into Christianity and came into, especially got called to preach, I went to Bible college, and the only time I ever came close to quitting is, is, is when I just, and I don't think I ever really came close to quitting, but, I, but when I got faced with the discouragement that it seemed like everybody else grew up in a Christian home except me. And I don't mean I would, because my home was moral, my home was good, my home was loving. I'm just saying that they all grew up with a Bible in their hand, it seemed like. They all grew up, I didn't even know the books of the Bible when I went to Bible college. I got a Bible when I was in the sixth grade, it had a zipper on it. I think probably about three years I unzipped it. You know, I mean, uh, it just, I just didn't read the Bible much. I had all the, the influences of a, of a Christian home, but we just, I did not go to church where they said study the Bible. So I felt like I don't belong, and I felt like because of my past, I could never be used like they could be. So then that led me to this. I thought, okay, God, if I could never be used like I would love to be used, then God, let me rear a family that could. Let me rear children that have no limitations. None at all. And so I took that, I went to this verse, and that verse became, Brother Bob, that verse became something. I said, Lord, I want this to be true. I want to train up a child in the way they should go. And so when they're old, they're not going to depart from the way of God. But what bothered me is I'm an absolutist. I mean, I'm black and white. And I said, God, uh, there, here, here's, that's when I started saying, Lord, oh, no matter how hard I try, I'm going to leave something out. I'm going to fail. So, Lord, I was in misery. God, how can I have this be true for me? And anybody, if you're still rearing ch- children right now, you're sitting here tonight because you want your children to live serving God. You want that. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to live serving God. So, so I, I, I just begged the Lord and I said, Lord, I, I've got to know what does this verse really mean? Because one man got up and he preached. He said, you know, the truth is this verse really means train up a child really means to allow a child to go the way he wants to go and he won't depart from that. Let me tell you, I listened to that message and I said, hey man, you didn't help me a bit. Allow a child to go the way he wants to go and he won't depart from that? I mean, duh, of course. But if you allow him to go the way he wants to go and he won't depart from that, maybe if you train him the way he should go, maybe he won't depart from that either. And so I started to do what I always do. When I, when I have a verse and I get locked on it, then I start doing some things. I pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide me and teach me what that verse means. I also define words. And so I, I did this. I believe every word of this book, I believe every word is right. I just think sometimes we don't know what they mean. And so I, I, I looked at it and it said train up. And train up actually is one word. And so I looked at it and it had a multitude of definitions. You know, as verses always, I mean, uh, words always do. But this, this had a unique definition. There was one little definition that was just very unique. It said to narrow. 
to narrow. Well, all the other definitions, I don't remember what they are, but that one just caught my attention to narrow. And so I went out and started walking and praying and said, Lord, what in the world are you trying to tell me from this definition to narrow? How can, I, how can this help me understand how I can rear my children to serve you? How can I know that this thing to narrow? And so I was, I was walking and praying as I was walking and praying. Then the Lord brought me to Matthew chapter 7 and, and that the straight and narrow path. The straight and narrow path. And I said, Lord, okay, great. The straight and narrow path. Now, how still does how's that help me? And I just kept praying, Lord, what does that mean? And whether this happens to you or not, but it's like the Lord said to me, how do you narrow a path? And I got to thinking, okay, if you want to, if you want to narrow a path, this is a little bit of a narrow path here, not fully, but, but this is sort of narrow because there's obstacles on either side, Right? There's a structure, there's a fence, there's a hedge, there's something, there's barriers that's going to keep us on this path. And that's when the Lord brought to me what I believe is the real teaching of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Joe Beth, could you come here for a second? God created something called marriage, amen? And I always do this backwards. God created a husband and a wife. I don't know how many times I've said, God created a husband and a wife. <laughs> but that's not what he did. All right. But maybe in this world. I don't know. That, but uh, no, God created a husband. and I almost did it again. Husband and a wife. And now, then came along when you get married, whether this happened to you or not, but with us, five months after we were married, we found out that, somebody was going to come into our home with us. Anybody ever experienced that? 14 months into marriage, we found out girl number one came. 14 months later, girl number two came. 18 <laughs> months later, girl number three came. Yeah, that's what I said. Whew. All right, so I'm going to need a little bit of help here. And I'm, I'm sorry? Gracie. Gracie, come here, Gracie. You don't mind, do you, babe? Right, come right here. Now, this is what the Lord showed me. This is what the simplicity of Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's not perfection and child rearing because none of us are going to be perfect, although we ought to all strive to teach every principle we possibly can. But we're never going to do it all exactly right. There is no human being that's done it right. Here's what God is saying. He created a hedge on either side. And now we walk the path of life. How old are you, Grace? Six. Six. So we walk the path of life. First six years, we walk the path of life. And you know what we're doing along that path? We're teaching her. We're training her. We're guiding her. We're protecting her. We're directing her. And we're walking that path of life. And, you know, she may stumble on that path of life. At six, they don't stumble real bad. Maybe get caught watching the wrong cartoon. But you know who's there to pick her up? We were there to protect her. Because we were there to hedge her in. All right, Gracie, thank you. You can go back and sit down. Thank you, darling. 
Uh, I need uh, one now, maybe about uh, 11 or 12, somebody. Who we got? Quickly. I need a girl. Because my girl otherwise just changed. <laughs> it's the only way I function. I, all I know is that God gives girls. There's nothing else that's even available. <laughs> Boys are found under rocks someplace. <laughs> all right. Now, how old are you? Ten. Ten. Well, okay. Now, here we go. Ten years. And you know what we're doing? Still doing the same old thing. We're walking this path of life. There's a lot of things. There's a few more things to enter in when they get up to be 10 or 11. But as we walk this path of life, is there there's something that maybe would distract her or something that maybe she started listening to? Guess who's there? We're there to protect her. We're there to direct her. We're there to teach her what's right and what's wrong. To guide her and to narrow her path. You know, all along, she keeps walking the same path. Her feet are learning this path all the way. All righty. Thank you. Now, um, now one, maybe 13 to 14. Okay, come on on. And if, if anybody's had kids grow up, they grow up about this fast. All right, now... Here we go, we, we're starting to walk this path of life and, and, uh, and we've been done 13 years now, we've been walking this path of life and things have gotten a little bit more difficult now because at 13, they start to notice things. Boys. Boys. It's pretty scary, huh? <laughs> now in this case, she would probably throw up, but the... Uh, but they start, and, and, you know, they start to, you know, they're not real bad, but, you know, the world's kind of changing and getting kind of crazy. And so, you know, they, they, get, they start to get pulled to the side a little bit, and they sort of kind of pull over here. But you know what? We kind of say, no, 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 no. There's a reason that we're not going to do this right now. You know what I mean? Okay. But for 13 years, we've been walking this path, and we've been there when she, start, when she stumbled, when she started to detour off the path. She doesn't get far off if she gets off at all because we're there to hedge her in, to narrow her path. Okay, on, thank you. Now, we're hitting at 16, Belle. Somehow I, I remember that number. You need a password on that? 5624. I thought my wife might not have told you. Now, at 16, we're still walking this path, but, but you know, people, you know, they'll scare you to death when you go to have teenagers because they'll say, you know, when they're little and everything, oh, they're so cute. Just wait till they become teenagers. You think, what happens? They become devils or what happens? Um, you know, the truth is, is that it becomes a little bit more difficult because they've got more questions and they've got a lot more enticements and they've got peer pressures and they've got all kinds of things. And so it becomes really important. We're walking this path that we're there to help her because now she can get really pulled and interested you know, why can't? Oh, Aunt Gertrude, you know, 300 years ago got married at 16. Why can't I? And we've got to explain to her 
this is not 100 years ago. I had to explain this to one of my daughters one time. I said, baby, I know that your aunt so-and-so got married when she was 16, but you understand why they stayed together? Because they lived in a cotton field. They didn't have any place to go, and she had no way to go. She wasn't going to be able to go anywhere anyway. I said, you just walk out and turn the key, and you're gone. All right? Now, so it's just, it's very vital. But now, right here is where I'm going to try to show. What I'm about to show is vital from zero all the way up. But it doesn't reveal itself usually until they're a teenager. And here's, it's at, Brooke was 16. Our oldest daughter is 16. She's going, I think, into, because she started school early, she's going into her junior year in school. Ashley's going into her sophomore year. When suddenly I started observing something, because, you know, I've jokingly said, you know, when you first, the first time you ever have a teenager, the one real truth that you realize is that you've never had one before. And when you've never had one before, you don't know what to do. So basically what you kind of do is you kind of do what everybody else is doing uh, or allowing. And in our school, in our system, there where we were, everybody dated. Truth is, they kind of pushed it push their dating in high school. Well, I'm a fairly observant kind of guy, and I've done two things. I preached often at the, at the high school, and I, you know, of course, I saw a lot of high school kids when they graduated came to Bible college. And what I saw over, the, over two or three years is this, is that I saw a whole lot of kids whose lives got wrecked because they started dating in high school. I saw a whole lot of kids who lost everything, uh, all the enjoyment that they could have with the rest of the group. Uh, I went to a, <clears throat> I went to a, a speak uh, at a youth rally, and I got through the youth rally, and they were going to have one of these all-night skating things going on, you know, and so, uh, which is stupid. But they, anyway, they were going to go out there and go roller skating, and, and I got to the roller skating rink. A couple of hundred kids are out there roller skating, and so I'm putting on my skates because I'm going to go out there and skate with them and show them that I can do it too. And, and, so, and, they're, and they're playing the hooker family on this, the music playing, which is kind of unique to roller skate too. And so, uh, and so they're playing all that, and, and, and I'm sitting there, and, and really a couple hundred kids out there, I'm standing talking to the pastor, and all these kids, man, they're laughing, they're playing. It's about midnight, and they're just having a time of their life, skating and skating and skating and just playing. And I looked over to the side. There was a couple sitting at a table. And so I, I just kind of kept staring at them over there, wondering why, you know, all these kids are skating, and, and here you got this great opportunity to have some fun. And this couple, this teenage couple sitting at a table over here. And so I kind of, you know, kind of inched over like I was going to put my shoes on over here, you know, and uh, I wasn't eavesdropping, but I was listening. And so, uh, and so I got over here so I could listen, and and uh, and I heard I heard him go, "Come on, man, let's go skate, let's go out there. I want to go out and skate." She said, "No, I don't want to." He said, "Come on, why not?" You just, she said, "I just want you to sit here with me. I just want to sit. At the, I don't want to go skate." And he's going, "Come on, man! I just everybody's skating. They're all in. Let's go!" And she says, "No, I know why you want to go. You just want to go skate by her. I saw you skate by her." <laughs> and man, I walked over to him. I just walked over and I said, "Hey, y'all!" And and, uh, and she looked at me. and She said, "Hello." 
And I said, tell me something. Do y'all like each other? And she looked at me and she said, we're in love. And I looked at her and I said, hey, if that's love, shoot me in the head. <laughs> Don't I need love? That's a bad habit. That's right. all it is. It's a horrible bad habit. And I said, you're, you, man, y'all could be having fun, but this is what you're doing probably every activity. Missing out on everything that you could be doing. And so I started to realize they, they lose it. And man, they'll start in seventh, eighth grade, and they will date all the way up through high school, be four, five, six years. And I understand, listen to me, if you're going to sit, you know, after I get done, you come to me and say, well, Brother Hook, I want you to know we started dating in the sixth grade, and we've been married for 400 years. Okay, I understand that it happens sometimes, but the vast majority, that's not the way it happens. And so they, I said, I, I called all my family together. I've been observing this. I'm seeing, I'm seeing kids just getting messed up. I'm seeing they're unhappy. They're missing out on everything. And, 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 I, and I also saw them that, they, uh, uh, that not only were they, they losing out on a lot of fun, a lot of things, but they were also losing a lot more. They were, you know, freshman girls and guys, they come in, they've been dating three or four or five years, and they come to, to college, and they would, they, the first week of school, you could see, him, uh, see them, and they walk around, and she's just like this everywhere they go, because they're going to be married after the first semester. And here's the problem, though. She was the best-looking thing out of those, you know, 75 kids in high school. Now he's walking around 700 girls, and he's like a blind dog in a meat house. I mean, it's just like she's just looking at him, and he's like, <laughs> everywhere they go, man. And it's just like this is, and, and watch this. Two or three weeks into school, they break up, never to be together again. They threw away all those years. Yeah. And like I said, the sad thing is what I was watching, really heartbreaking, it was that many of them were thrown away much more. And being devastated that they had thrown all that away and now they're broken up never to be together again. And so I did this and I didn't, I didn't do it right because I should have talked to Joe Beth before I did. I called all seven women and I put them around the table and I said, I got an announcement to make. It's about three weeks before college starts and school starts back. And so I, I said, uh, school's about to start back and when you start back, we're going to do something different from everybody else. It doesn't make any difference what everybody else says. It doesn't make any difference what everybody else believes. It doesn't make any difference what everybody else is doing. This family, we no longer date in high school. Amen. I needed you that day. Because you would have thought I just announced the tribulation period. I mean, the trump just sounded because... Because, man, it was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Big old crocodile tears, they're pouring down, they're coming down. And, and, and now my girls know better than to actually say anything, but they're just like, you know, their lips are quivering, they're looking at me, tears are coming down. It's just like, you know, who's this insane man and what did he do with my daddy? And man, I, and I went through the whole thing. I explained to him exactly why. I went through it all. I explained to him. I got done. And I said, okay, that's it. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody does. We will not date in this 
home anymore in high school. And I even told them, now I went so far, and I'll just throw this out to you, I went so far that I eventually told them, look, I don't even want you getting serious about a guy in college until he's going into his junior year. And the reason was because the freshmen and sophomores drop out. So they fall in love with this freshman, and he's gone. You know, I said, no, we're going to wait till he's junior year. Good possibility he'll finish. And so here we go. I'm, uh, I, I finish up, and, and all the girls take off, and six women, they go to one bedroom. You know, and so I know that's a bad situation. And so they all go into one bedroom, and I know what's going on in there. They're just like at each other going, oh, what's going on? What's daddy doing? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And I can see my little six-year-old daughter tear over in the corner, sitting down just crying, just like, oh, no, I can't date, you know. She don't have a clue, but everybody else is crying, so she got to cry, you know. And so I, I did what every man will do. I went and hid in a... I snuck into the basement, man. I went down there and I found me a cubby hole someplace. Get away from it. Let what happened happen now. And so I'm there and I found this out later from my oldest daughter. She said, Mama walked down to the room. Now, at the moment Mama walked down to the room, she held the life of our daughters in her hand. Because from counseling and from the people we've dealt with over the years, here's what a whole lot of Christian home mamas would do. You see, they walk into the room, and as soon as she walked into the room, my daughter Brooke said that, that they lit her up. Man, I, they said, Mama, what in the world, Daddy, don't watch you. Daddy, we're going to be so embarrassed. And here's what most mamas do. Girls, I don't know. I don't know what's the matter with your daddy. I don't know what in the world he's thinking. And girls, I, I'll, it's okay, girls, I'll talk to him. He'll change his mind. And girls, you know, really, it's okay because he's not around much anyway. But my daughter Brooke said that mama walked into the room and they lit her up. And she said, girls, your daddy loves you more than life. And your daddy is the wisest man that I know. And we're going to trust your daddy. She salvaged our girls' lives that moment. Now, the truth is, this is what has happened, and this is the truth that God taught me. Y'all stay here. Or you can wait, take a step up. Both of you, please. Stay right there. This is most of our good Christian homes. God said, narrow their path, hedge them in, but this is really what's happening. You see, we both want the same thing for her. We want her to have a good life. We want her to serve God with her life. We want her to get to the altar pure. We want her to have every good thing God could give her. We want that, but here's the problem. We can't agree on how to get there. We don't agree on how she dresses. We don't agree on what she listens to. We don't agree on where she goes. We don't agree who her friends are. We don't agree on what she, what she watches. We don't agree on these things. And bottom line, it comes down to nothing but simple pride. 
And we won't agree. Now, I'm going to throw this at you, ladies. The truth is, Joe Beth is 95% responsible for the reason our girls turned out right. And here's the reason why. Because God placed the man as the leader in the home, which means I end up making the final decisions. And she had to yield. And you say, well, I'm not going to yield. That's what's destroying our children. That's what's destroying our children. Now watch this. The greatest fear that we both have for her is that she will rebel. That's the fear. Every, every person rearing a child, man, they hit that junior high and teenage years and those things start going on their mind and peer pressure and all this, and you just like, God, please don't let them rebel against us. Don't let them rebel against God. But watch this now. Listen to me. Get this if you don't get anything else. Colossians says, children, obey your parents, plural. Children, obey your parents in all things. Now watch this now. Children, obey your parents in all things. That means she is supposed to obey both of us in all things. Do you understand when we won't agree We've just caused her to be in rebellion because it's absolutely impossible for her to obey us both when we don't agree. She has to choose one or the other. She has to rebel against one or the other. And when she rebels against one, she eventually will rebel against both and eventually she will rebel against God. And it comes down to the fact that we simply would not agree. You say, well, Brother Hooker, man, I mean, you mean your wife just, whatever you said was okay? No, let, get real, man. <laughs> let me tell you the rest of the story. She came out of that room after she defended me, after she said, girls, this is what we're going to do. And she came and found me hiding. <laughs> and when she came down to me as I was hiding, she said, Rob, can we talk? And I said, yes. <laughs> and we walked into our room and she said, what are you thinking? <laughs> no, she didn't. But, but the fact is, is that, look, can I tell you, a woman does not see that danger. You know what she sees? She sees it's romantic, it's fun, it's innocent, they're just kids, it won't hurt anything. Help us, Gerald. Is that what we see? No, we see every boy ought to die. Just kill them now. Don't let them close to my daughter. We see it completely different because we know what's going on in that boy's head. So she looked at me and we talked. And I'll be honest with you, we went through and I explained everything again and more. And I said, basically, I know you may not be able to see it, but you've got to trust me. I'm seeing too many lives destroyed. It's not worth the gamble. 
I don't want to lose my girls. And, and watch this now. It's an easy thing to walk out together out of that room. It's a hard thing to go the next 20 years living by what you just decided. It's a hard thing when she's got to talk to those girls over and over again and defend daddy one more time that he said, no, you can't do that. No, we're not going to do that. We've already decided we're not. I don't care who said that y'all ought to go to that together. I'm sorry. God bless them. I love them. But daddy makes the decision. She defended me all those years. She stuck with me. Because as we walk through, if y'all continue to walk, if we walk this way and temptation comes to her, she can deviate off that path at any moment. There's no hedge. You know what that is? That's the gate's been left open. The gap's been torn down. And when it's open and it's down, the cows are going to get out. I don't mean, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I messed that one up, didn't I, Bell? <laughs> I should have said horses. All right. But if you leave the gate open, they're they can go off. And watch this now, Bell. Would you just kind of step off to the side here because you got tempted by Jordan? And so, uh, I'm hurting you. Right? Okay, so she's deviated from that, and we're back here. And watch this now. Here's what happens. It may, forgive me. I'm going to warn you. This may happen right here. You come running to the preacher and say, Preacher, you got to help us. You got to help us get our daughter back. You got to help us. She's messed up. You got to help us. Please help us. Now, watch this now. We get her back. And we do this. Where's she going? Right back off the path. And can I tell you, when you spend your life on and off, all you're doing is kind of crisscrossing off the path every time somebody can kind of just pull you back in, entice you back in, beg you back in, you've, you never learn the path. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. You know why they won't depart from it? Because that's all their feet know. You understand what I'm telling you? Now, I'm telling you this, and I'm showing you this, and I've already made the disclaimer. You've got to understand this is not you do this and God will do this. They have a will of their own. I'm giving you the best opportunity to see your child turn out for God. And why is it so important that we stay all the years of her life walking her this way? I need, Bell, you can go ahead and sit I, I have no idea who to use here, but I need, uh, you know what? I guess probably the closest I've got to the age that I need Lauren. No, no. no sorry. All right, that's all right, Evie. Our baby just went down. All right, Lauren. How old are you? 24. 
24, okay. You're 21 now. All right. Because at 21 years of age, we've walked this path with our fifth daughter for 21 years. At 21, I did this. Stay right there. We can't hedge her in anymore. We took her and we gave her away. Which means now either her feet know the path or they don't. It's up to her. Why is this so important? Because the darkness comes in everybody's life. And I say this everywhere I go, you know, that, that anybody here grew up on a farm? Okay, I'm about to tell a story about my daddy. When we were growing up as kids, it didn't matter what time it was or how dark it was. He wanted to know where the cows were when we came home. Now, he never gave us a flashlight. We grew up out in the farm where dark is dark. When it was dark sometimes... You really, you step out of that car, we're home from a ball game, we got to go find the cows, and you look and you can't even see your hand. And so, you know what we do? Me and my brother, we take off running in the dark. And we take off running those cow paths in the dark. I can still feel, you know, we didn't know wear shoes, so I, I can still feel. <laughs> I can still feel that old soft, powdery dust in my toes. And you can believe this or not, and probably maybe my, my daddy would understand this because he did it when he was a boy, but when you run that path so much in the darkness, you can take off running and your feet know the path. You take off running and you know where that root is that you're going to kick if, you don't, if you're not careful. You take off running and you know where that ditch is where you've got to plant your foot to jump across it. You take off running, you know where that grapevine's hanging down. If you don't duck, it's going to hang you. And you know everything. Your feet know everything on the path except what the cows left today. Because your feet have run that path so much, your feet know the path. And at 21, I took Amber down the aisle, and three months after her marriage, her 21-year-old her husband was diagnosed with terminal cancer. They went into darkness. They lost everything they had. They had a little mobile home. They had a car. They had some money in the bank. And, and in one week, all that was gone just to keep him alive the first week. They moved in with us. For nine, the first nine months that they were with us, I would come in from work, and every day that they weren't at a hospital or someplace, it seemed like almost every day I came in and Amber would be at the piano, playing the piano. And inside my heart, I would say, I need to go talk to her, I need to go encourage her, but I wouldn't know what to say. I would walk many times, I'd just walk out the back door. I'd walk past her and walk out the back door into the yard, and I'd cry and say, dear God, I'm her daddy, and I'm supposed to make the pain go away. I'm supposed to solve this. 
and I can't do anything. And then I would say, Lord, is Amber going to make it? Please, dear God, please let her make it. Because so many people in these kind of crises, they turn against God. After nine months of that, I came in one day and she was not there, but they had been to record a CD that we had made. And so she, they, Joe Beth had the demo and, and I was so oblivious to everything at that time. I, I walked in and Joe Beth said, you need to hear the song that Amber wrote. And I said, what are you talking about? She says, on the demo of the CD. And, and I sat down on the, at the kitchen table. She put it into the player and it began to play. And about halfway through the song, I fell out of my chair to my knees and I began to cry uncontrollably. And, and my wife came and put her hand on my shoulder. And she said, Rob, it's going to be okay. And I said, babe, you don't understand. All these months, I kept saying, God, is she going to make it? Do her feet know the path? And I listened to that song and realized, my little girl, in the darkness when she could not see, she did all that she knew to do, which was instinctively just go back to the path of God. And many of you probably heard this, and I apologize. I really shortened this down, and I'm still going too long, but if you, can you play that for me? This is a song that I heard. They said that while she recorded it, she stood in a studio and she faced a wall with tears running down her cheeks. She wrote this song and she poured out her soul to say that I knew she's going to make it. When the trials you face turn into your darkest night and your hope The darkness will turn to light And you feel all alone And no one is there with you Never fear My God is holding you He is there to comfort you When you feel your world is shaking
watched her for the next two years as her, a little less than two years as her husband was dying. She lived with us for the next two and a half years after that. And especially that first year, so many times that she'd cry herself to the point she was so weak, you'd have to just pick her up and carry her to the bed. I've seen her when she, honestly, she couldn't pray. She couldn't do anything. She would lay in the bed and just hold Matt's Bible. But what I watched was a girl in the total darkness when she could not see. Somehow her feet always stumbled back to the path, the only path that she knew. And it wasn't perfection in childbirth. The truth is, it was just, it was this right here. We just had to break her pride. And can I tell you that there were some times that Joe Beth and I talked that she just, I just had to look at her and say, you're right. Maybe I should go a different way. I, I think I need to change this because you're right. Because she has a lot of wisdom. But this is what's destroying our children of good homes. Because we force them into rebellion. I'm just going to beg you tonight as couples, as moms and dads, and I'm going to tell you this to the children. You listen to me, children, you listen to me. You don't want to be able to use mom against dad because what you're doing is, is you're causing yourself to not be prepared for the darkness. And you may be in here, you may know somebody that's a single parent, and you say, well, what do they do? Well, first of all, you can take the, the Word of God can be the hedge. But secondly, let me represent the pastor of a church right now. God had a wonderful thing called the church, and if she, it's just the two of them, and she needs help, I can't replace a dad, but I can stand beside and say, let's agree. And grandparents, let me tell you, you have such an influence. We do right now today. Our children know that we stand beside them. And when their grandkids, when our grandkids come to us, their children come to us, we are not going to lead them differently than mom and dad believe. Because it's, it's this opening of the hedge. And this life of deviation, they never learn. And then the darkness comes, and they just say, God, who? Why would God let this happen to me? I'm not going to serve a God that does this to me. Because they never learned the path. Father, thank you. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord, I'm...